CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are finally back here with the Canadian Football Countdown. We've been away for uh, about two months now, uh, busy schedules, uh, construction going on around the house, um... Technical difficulties, I mean, uh, reasons kept piling up, uh, delayed us from recording over the last couple of months, but we are finally back to talk more CFL football together with Michael Garrell. How are you, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Of course, there's another event of significant interest in the city of Winnipeg, but it's nice to talk football for a bit. Absolutely. The Winnipeg Jets on to the third round of the playoffs starting tonight as we are recording this Friday, uh, Saturday, May 12th. Um, Jets starting their series tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights. I'll be, uh, we'll be meeting up in a couple of hours to watch that. But in the meantime, Mike, we've got a lot of football news over the last two months to talk about here. Yeah, and it's very interesting. Um, when you take a step back, like, it seemed like all the news was coming at once, like toward the beginning of this year. Then there was a bit of a dead wall from just after CFL week or just before CFL week to CFL week. And now it's kind of started to pick up again face to the draft in many camps. And But all in all, I mean... This has been by far the busiest, most productive offseason for the CFL as far as filtering out news. And I, I just think that they should be commended for, you know, trying to keep fan engagement year-round. For sure. And, and let's actually start there with uh, CFL Week. We did a live show live at CFL Week uh, on Mike FM Winnipeg. Uh, on the Saturday of that week, where uh, and uh, you had the chance to be in the media room that week, got to talk to a bunch of different players. Uh, we've got the uh, we've got audio files from each of those. So uh, our plan is to you know possibly you know put one interview at the end of each show starting next week. So uh, we'll make sure to uh, have all of those from CFL week. But Mike, maybe talk a little about uh, your experience from that week with interviewing the players and then the, that. Uh, day at the fan fest that we got to spend there yeah i just thought and i i can't speak for the whole week obviously because i was there for one day well two days you were at the media event and then we were at fan fest for one yeah, well, i'm talking about the fan fest as right. a whole um like and it's also hard for me to judge because i've never been at a cfl week uh outside of winnipeg for obvious reasons so but to me, I see it this way. If CFL week is this good, as somebody that's never been a part of Great Cup week as far as festivities go, yes, I went to the to the Great Cup the last time it was here. Like, what's Great Cup week? Right, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of... Th- this CFL week was such a great idea. Um, and it was a hit this year, just like it was in Regina last year. And I'm excited to see what next year brings for it, wherever it may go. Because, you know, you could tell, you know, I've listened back to all those interviews you did and, you know, editing them, getting them ready to put in our shows over the next couple of weeks. And uh, you you can tell the players themselves were excited to be there. They felt honored to be asked by their team to represent their team at this week-long event. It was great for the fans getting to meet and interact with all of these players and see everything going on. I mean... It was a win-win situation for all sides. Granted, of course, everybody should be aware that, you know, the next couple of weeks, as games start, as competition starts, these players will be a little bit different. They'll be, they'll be closed off in a way. You know, they, 
it's one thing to talk to them, you know, in the early spring versus in the dead heat of a CFL season. So I think fans need to be, you know, confident of that, that, you know, you get one player at CFL week, you get another player, you know, in season, right? And that's just the nature of the business, right? Right. So I, I hope that... Uh, I hope that fans don't think their players all of a sudden, a bit, you know, change their tune a little bit, right? Because it, it is different in that way. And uh, overall, props to the CFL for, and everyone involved for all the work they put into uh, putting that on here in Winnipeg. It was a great week. I enjoyed our day at Fan Fest. I know a lot of people enjoyed their time there. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you know what? It's a very... Uh, you know, honestly, as formal as the media events were, you know, with the, you know, you have to be credentialed and all that kind of stuff, and you're kind of standing around, you know, in the room waiting for the players to to, to come to your table. That is about the most formal I think the whole week got. And, you know, once you got to sit down and actually talk to these players, um, you know, in, in listening back a couple of months, like now that a couple of months has passed and actually listening back to some of the work that I did, um, to me, a player that really stands out, and wh- whether it was comfort level uh, with myself or with him, um, but Trevor Harris's interview really stands out to me. Uh, you know, talking about outside of football and just the game day atmosphere in Ottawa and what it means to be in Ottawa and, you know, just how personable uh, CFL players are compared to any other league. And that's that's no slight against the NHL. That's no slight against, you know, Major League Baseball or even basketball to an extent. You know, where it's all about the money-driven and corporate sponsors and all that. Uh, to me, it was just really cool to see how personable these players are. And the CFL should really be commended for it. And one of the big things at the CFL week, obviously, was the uh, combine for all the, you know, the future CFL prospects getting ready for the draft, which the draft just took place this past week, Mike. Maybe let's start off with talking about the draft because it is the big news, really the biggest news out of the last little while. Um, what did you make of the draft? Uh, I I made of it one of two things, and... and Quite frankly, I believe that, and I know maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will say it anyway, um, the company that owns the broadcast rights for uh, the CFL and the company that owns the broadcast rights for CIS football are two different companies, and they market the lead two different ways. And... It's not the fault of the lead. It's not the fault of anybody. But for me as a fan, I hardly know who these guys are when it comes to their draft year. And even, you know, in circumstances such as the NFL draft, you know who the top of the tier drafts are because because you see them uh, on your TV every week. And the same, unfortunately, can't be said in Canada. So... And I know it may seem like that be it may seem like asking a lot, but I really believe that uh, Canadian university sport and the CFL as a whole would benefit from somewhat more of a TV package for for football and marketing these players, um, so that people know who they are uh, when it comes to the draft. The big news on draft day, or I believe it might have come the day before draft day, Mike, was the uh, the the Alouettes and the Ticats making a pretty big trade to swap first round picks. Uh, a big deal here. The so the Alouettes, tr- who had the first overall pick, trade the first, thirty first, forty fourth overall picks, and a twenty nineteen second rounder to the Ticats for offensive line Ryan Bauman, who used to be a member of the Alouettes wide receiver Jamal Robinson, and the second, 34th, 56th overall picks and a negotiation list player. 
Mike, when I saw that trade before the draft even happened, you know, to me, that's a, quite a bit that the Ticats give up there in order to jump up one spot in the draft. Yeah, but again, here's where I sit on this. I bet you Hamilton has some kind of intel that Montreal was going to take the guy that they wanted. And that being Chapman, obviously. Yeah, wide receiver Mark Chapman out of Central Michigan going first overall to the Ticats. So here's another situation. If you know, if you're Hamilton, that that is the guy you want, and there's a substantial drop-off between, say, the top five and everybody else, you better go get the guy that you want. And if you're Montreal... And you see this boatload of, you know, pit swap offensive linemen who knows your city because he originally played there, as you'll recall. As as much as Montreal maybe wanted Chapman, they looked at this as a chance to gain inventory for a team that had a lot of holes. It's not like Montreal is in a situation like certain other CFL teams where, you know, they can take the best available. So they're looking at this going, yes, we did an offensive lineman. We moved down one spot. We did a whole bunch of other stuff. Maybe that's worth not getting the guy that we truly want when we have as many holes as we want. Well, I just want, I just want to know from the Hamilton perspective and I guess from the Montreal perspective here, did they really think Montreal was going to take Mark Chapman with that first overall pick? Because if you look at the Montreal Alouettes roster to me, wide receiver doesn't seem like the main focus, right? Like it seems like logical to me that they're going after, they would go after a guy maybe along the offensive line there, like they did with the second overall pick with Trey Rutherford, um, who they end up picking. But I, like Montreal has decent receiving core that you know they've got B.J. Cunningham, they've got Ernest Jackson. I believe they brought in Chris Williams this off season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. You know they've got some pieces at wide receiver in Montreal. Granted, you know Canadian depth, maybe they could have used a little more, and maybe that's that's what Hamilton was a little scared of there. But I think offensive line to me was always a spot that the Alouettes were going to focus on in the draft. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that Hamilton did all of that just to go up one spot. Yeah, but then again, there's no guarantee, right? You can ask the guy, who do you want to take? And he could be bluffing all along. Right. I will say, I do like the move, though, for the Thai Cats. You know, if getting a game-breaking receiver like that... Um, you know, if it pans out for him, if he does come to play as much hype as he has, then I think it's, I mean, it's great for the Ticats. I also like the other move they made uh, when they made a trade with the Eskimos. So they gave their second round, or uh, they acquired the sixth overall pick and the 37th overall pick for the 10th and the 20th from the Eskimos. So uh, they move up to take their wide receiver at number one, but then they also get the sixth overall pick. Uh, and draft an offensive lineman there in Darius uh, Siraco, if I pronounced that correctly. Um, so they still do get an offensive lineman out of that first round, and they get a wide receiver. The the pit that I can't figure out is Saskatchewan and not and in, in the first round. Why? That that guy doesn't seem anywhere near, you know, CFL. He he seems more like a long term project with NFL aspirations. Like I, I'm just wondering. To, to me, that seems to be a pit on the left field. Uh, overall, in the first round, Mike, we have uh, Mark Chapman of the Ticats as the only wide receiver. Uh, with the seventh overall pick, the BC Lions pick defensive lineman Julian Theron. And then the rest is all offensive linemen. Again, it's just one of those things where, you know, we go, the, we go through this every year where, we see this run of offensive linemen, and the value in Canadian offensive linemen has never been higher. Why is it so valuable? Why is it that every year we see that be the prime position to target at the draft? Maybe be, I think it might be because it's the easiest position to plug in. Um, 
you know, because you can see such an abundance of talent, you know, elsewhere on the field, such as quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back, running back, you know, those are all prime American spots. Maybe maybe they feel like if they can bolt up Canadian offensive linemen, it it helps them elsewhere, you know what I mean? Right. But like for me, I believe and the Bombers will not come out and say this. I believe the Bombers traded out of the first round because they felt like they got the guy that they wanted. I believe the Bombers wanted them right where their original pit was with BC. Who who was this, sorry? Uh the guy from Calgary. Rashawn Simonese. Sin- C- Rashawn Simonese. Uh Simonese. Yeah. Um, Hoping we pronounce oh, Simon A. I think it's Simon A, actually. Hopefully uh, we learn to pronounce that, and hopefully we have a reason to need to learn to pronounce that as he shines on the field this year for the Bombers. Yeah, anyway, so <laughs> the Bombers ended up signing him, signing him this week to a three-year deal. I believe he was the guy that the Bombers wanted all along. You look at his information here, 64202, and he's 22 years old. He's got that game-breaking size that, you know, the Bombers covet. Because how many of those in the last couple of years, Ryan, and you can attest to exactly what I'm going to say, how many times did the Bombers come out on the losing end of those 50-50 jump balls? Quite, quite a bit. Quite a bit. So this is the drive that's got the size built in. And, of course, he's only 22. He's growing into his body. Granted, he has off-the-field issues where... You know, he had a year of eligibility uh, pushed back for various reasons. But, man, and going back to what I said, I, I believe the Bombers wanted this guy all along, and I believe that they they knew that he was, uh, they knew that he, he would probably still be there at 12, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so why not trade down? And you get a first rounder next year. So now, so now, basically, you're, all of this before the other news this week. You know, they're probably banking on BC being on the bottom of the West, which would mean a topish pit in next year's draft. Well, I mean, let's just put it this way: and an extra, and an extra first round pit, where the cap is almost assuredly to go up. The value of first-round pits on the tap is high. So maybe next year the Bombers are looking at this going, hey, you know what, we might not have the tap base to afford a current first-rounder. We might as well take our chances with two first-rounders next year with the expanded tap. I I don't know. It's. I mean, let, let's just put it this way. I think you can generalize this to any team in any sport that has a draft. If you can trade down and still get to the guy you want, it's a big win. Because it means you're getting something else on top of the guy you were going to pick where you were originally sitting anyways. And if Rashawn Simonet is the guy that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers wanted, then that makes this trade even better. I agree with you. I like the trade. The Bombers, uh, just to you know recap it here, traded the 7th overall pick and the 16th overall pick. first Their, their first and their second round pick. Right, to the BC Lions for the 12th overall pick and a 2019 first rounder. I agree with you because you look, the bomb. okay, the Bombers picked 7th um, because, you know, the Yargos, the Stampeders were in the Grey Cup, and then besides them, the Bombers had the best record in the CFL. You can't tell me, I mean, you can, and it's certainly up for debate, but I don't know if I can see BC topping that. You're likely getting a higher pick than seventh overall next year with this BC Lions first rounder. But and and the other thing becomes, and and I, I don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse here. But is there a real need for this first round pick that would have happened had they not made the trade? Is there a real need for these bomber draft pits to be in the lineup the year they're picked? No. I certainly don't think so. I think the bombers have built up a fair amount of depth all over the football field. And, you know, it, 
it's interesting to me because if you keep looking back to the last couple of drafts, uh, quite often, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have focused on the offensive line, the defensive line in the early rounds, right? Uh, second round and third round, they pick two wide receivers here. They do again in the fifth. They do go on to pick a couple offensive linemen as well. But I think it just shows that they've done a great job of building the offensive line in Winnipeg. We go back from however many years it would be at this point to where they had clearly one of the worst offensive lines in the CFL to now over the last two seasons or so being in the debates for having the best. And a lot of that was built through the draft and uh, through the guys they were able to bring in and give a chance. And, you know, they have this, I think Michael Couture is his name. There's a couple offensive linemen that the Bombers are very high on that are going to come into the system and push for playing time this year. The, the fact of the matter is, Ryan, there is no rush for these guys to hit the lineup, as I see it. Yeah, I would agree with you, certainly, on that one there. Uh, Mike, let's move on from the draft, because there's a lot of other stuff we want to talk about here yet. Um, transactions, maybe let's uh, focus on that first over the last two months here. Um, possibly the biggest, well, the one we had been talking about for weeks on weeks back when we, you know... We're still staying consistent with having news to talk about for a while. The uh, Hinoch Muamba situation. Uh, many thought uh, after he was released by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that he'd be a great fit here in Winnipeg. The Bombers tried and tried. Eventually could not afford to meet Hinoch Muamba's demands. And on April 12th, he officially signed a three-year contract with the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, this to me is no surprise. Uh, it was just a matter of when, not if. Yeah, I think it was always, you know, it was always down to Winnipeg or Montreal, right? It was one of those two teams was going to be the team that was going to get Henock. Uh, a three-year contract for him with the Alouettes. Uh, you don't see too many three-year contracts anymore in the CFL. What do you make of uh, them giving three years to him? Again, uh, I mean, this is about money and opportunity, and I... I mean, Montreal had the money. Quite frankly, Winnipeg didn't. Yeah. Although that's, that's although that's to be debated after this week, but one I mean, didn't. I mean, no didn't. no team had more money available to throw around to players, arguably, than the Montreal Outwets. So I think they already did a great job uh, so far this off season upgrading their defense. He uh, knocked Muamba's a force at middle linebacker. Uh, he had a great season last year with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I think that's a great piece for the Alouettes to bring in. I'm excited to see what that defense there can do this year. They already brought in a lot of big pieces early in the offseason, and he knocks uh, knock Muamba's another uh, another strong piece to add to that. Yeah, but the question became, uh, quite frankly, Mike Sherman was blunt after minicamp and said something to the effect of, we don't have a quarterback. I mean, that's always the issue, uh, certainly. Yeah, uh, for the Alouettes, right? The uh, quarterback situation, they bring in Josh Freeman early in the offseason. They bring back Drew Willey. Uh, not committing to either one being the starter so far yet this year, which is kind of interesting. I figured, you know, you bring Freeman in, you give him the starting role, and you run with it. But You had Vernon Adams, you had Brandon Bridge. Uh-oh. <laughs> Regardless, uh, I think they've done a lot to improve their team this offseason. The, certainly, yeah. the, certainly the quarterback situation is a, uh, is a question mark. Uh, I like some of the offensive changes they've made. Uh, th that trade they made in the draft, you know, to get a solid offensive lineman in Ryan Bauman and then pick another one with the second overall pick. That's two offensive linemen right there to upgrade their team. I like what they've done at the wide receiver position. I like what they've done defensively. Do I think the Alouettes are going to go out and win the Grey Cup this year? Heck no. But then again, the Vegas Golden Knights are in the uh, you know NHL Conference Finals, so anything can happen. Yeah. I honestly, as Montreal is currently constructed, see that they're at least two or three years away from making noise. I, I think they'll be more competitive this year. Uh, certainly win more than three games. I could see them winning a couple more there. And uh, even in the ones they lose, I feel like, you know, it wasn't close a lot of the time last year. I'm looking to see them be more competitive. 
I would maybe, if all things considered, would grant them into the 7-11 and 11 territory. Now, the big news coming out this week for the Alouettes, uh, defensive coordinator Cleo Carter stepping down for personal reasons. Uh, they also hired Rich Stubler back at the same time when they named their coaching staff as a defensive advisor or consultant. He now takes over the actual defensive coordinator role. What do you make of this change right before uh, right before the season starts? I don't know what to make of it. Is there a disagreement that we're not aware of? Well, it's personal reasons. I don't think we're uh, I don't think we're ever going to know fully what that means, right? But uh, certainly a last minute switch. That being said, I, I I like that Rich Stubler is the defensive coordinate coordinator of the Montreal Alouettes. I was a little interested when they hired him as a consultant or whatever, due to see how much of a role he would actually play and how much of an influence he'd have on Khalil Carter's defense. Now it's his defense. Rich Stubler has historically been one of the best defensive coordinators in the CFL in his time in the CFL, uh, and I'm excited what he can do with all of these weapons that uh, General Manager Kavis Reed has provided him. They remind me like the slow rebuild of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Every year they add pieces to get better at different positions. Rome wasn't built overnight. The Montreal Alouettes, I don't think, are going to be rebuilt in one year. Uh, even though the Las Vegas Golden Knights have somewhat maybe changed my perception on how fast the rebuild is. And but, the Ottawa Red Blacks when they uh, came back into the league. Yeah, but again, it's it's one of those things where slow and steady in Montreal, I guess. Now, Mike, uh, moving on from the Alouettes, the uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks have had an interesting offseason here. Uh, I'm looking specifically uh, on April 3rd, a uh, couple wide receivers that played or were meant to play a crucial role in this team last year uh, being released. Uh, wide receiver Joshua Stangby, I thought, had a great season last year. Quincy McDuffie was brought in halfway through the year as a kick returner. Uh, and then Kenny Shaw, who had a great year the year before with the Toronto Argonauts, missed most of last season due to injury. All three of them released by the Red Blacks. What do you make of uh, the decision to release these guys? Again, uh, whether that's money or whether they feel that there's upgrades there, we'll never know. But Who who else did they bring in? I'm just looking at it right now in the offseason that these three guys became expendable. Because I thought these were, I was expecting to see Kenny Shaw have a bounce back year. He missed most of last year due to injury, as I said. Um, let's see, looking at the roster here for the Red Blacks, you've got uh, Deontay Spencer, Brad Sinopoli, Greg Ellingson. Those are your big three. Uh, Julian Fioli Godino brought in uh, to play the, uh, the Canadian role there. You've got Dominic Rimes, who might have a bit of a bigger year this year, but. I, 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 I'm a little shocked to see these guys let go by the Red Blacks. I think it comes down to a situation, Ryan, where Ottawa just needs to trust their general manager. and Maybe there's some guys internally that they've already honored from their mini camp, but they feel are an upgrade over the said guys. Yeah, that could be camp competition, you know. Uh, we don't get to see... Uh, we won't see until they hit the field, right, wh- whether these decisions were uh, justified or whether perhaps they weren't. Scary that two weeks from tomorrow is the first preseason game. Yeah, and uh, two days, a month and two days from now, the Bombers and the Eskimos will be hitting the field at Investors Group Field to kick off the 2018 CFL season. And I am so excited. Me as well. Um, looking at more off-season news, Mike, probably some of the biggest would be the, uh, the running back position for the Calgary Stampeders, uh, coming in, you know, at the end of last year, you have a, you have the great dynamic duo of Jerome Messam, uh, Roy Finch, uh, you've got, uh, Terry Williams as a third string waiting in the wing who had a decent, uh, had some great games last year. Jerome Messam leaves in the offseason. 
And now we have the news uh, coming in mid-April that uh, Roy Finch arrested for assault of a police officer, possession of marijuana, among other charges, and his career in the CFL is on hold indefinitely. He was removed. He was moved to the retired list by the Calgary Stampeders, and now no Roy Finch, no Jerome Messam for Calgary this year. Big hole, and no bat to quarterback. Right, because you also have. Um, just a couple, or just last week, I believe it was, quarterback Andrew Buckley uh, had a great year as the backup for the Stampeders last year, retiring after two CFL seasons. A couple big holes here on offense for the Stampeders. I, uh, I still like Terry Williams as a starting running back, actually. Um, I think he'll have a great season. He showed some strong flashes there last year, but definitely changes here in Calgary. You know, this this Calgary, you know, you talked about, you know, the Roy Finch being moved to the suspended list and then Andrew Butley and all, all the pieces that they've kind of let go. You and I had talked about this uh, earlier, you know, right after a couple of weeks after the Great Cup, you know, can this core come back after losing two devastating Great Cup games, which... You know, quite frankly, Calgary should have won them both, and that's no disrespect to the teams that they played. And I know teams won the Great Cup fair and square, but I think we're slowly starting to see whether we like it or not. Maybe a change in the guard out west, and unless Calgary can find a way to plug some holes, Calgary's kind of found a way to move back to uh, away from Miss Corvette got them to two great cups. Granted, you know, most of them most of the people are still in place, but there are some changes. And I think that question kind of answered itself kind of unintentionally, if that makes sense. Yeah, the uh, so the big hole not only at running back but at the kick return position for the uh, Stampeders because Roy Finch was you know special teams player of the year. He was so dynamic as a kick returner. Uh, they bring in former Bomber Troy Studermeyer uh, possibly to fill that role. I think they've got a couple other guys on the roster that could uh, compete for that as well. Um, the really interesting thing for me, Mike, is looking at the Stampeders this offseason, the number of guys that have hung up the cleats and retired from pro football um, in general over the last you know, several months. We've seen a lot of guys from around the CFL do so, and we're going to talk about some other of them shortly. But uh, the Stampeders, I mean, in the last two months alone, uh, linebacker Deron Mayo retiring after six seasons, offensive what? lineman Pierre... Mayo- so to catch up, Mayo's on the coaching staff, is he not? Um, I don't know. He might have been. I'll look it up right now. Uh, I know Josh Bell, who retired earlier in the offseason, he joined the coaching staff. Sorry, it was Bell, not Mayo. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just double-checking. Uh, granted, Drawn Mayo did have quite the injury issues over the last year. Uh, missed most of the season, so that's quite understandable. Um, offensive lineman Pierre Laver two retiring after four seasons. Offensive lineman uh, prospect perhaps uh, Roman Grossman retiring. He played seven games for the team back in 2016. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Buckley, um, and then earlier in the off season, offensive lineman Dan Faderkyle retiring. Who also just learned in the last couple of months that he's been suspended by the league for two games for violating drug policy. So uh, if he ever wants to make the comeback, uh, he'll have to wait two games to get onto the football field. Have, yeah. you, have you ever seen this before, a retired player getting suspended? Did he retire first or was he suspended before? No, he retired first. Maybe he knew what was coming. Maybe. That that could be possible. Um but yeah, what do you make of all these guys retiring from the Calgary Stampeders? Is it just a case of this has been a bit of an older team? You know, guys have served their time in the CFL and they're ready to move on? Or uh, do you think the impact of the last two heartbreaking Grey Cup losses has anything to do with it? Well, I need to be blunt. Uh, there's a real changing of the guard here in the West. And... So it pains me to say this, and I don't even believe the Bombers are involved in the changing of the guard. 
I mean, I mean, to me, it's in general. Why do you think there's so many guys that have retired this off season? It seems, granted, maybe we're you know paying closer attention to the off season than we have in the past. But there's been a lot of guys from around the re- league that have decided to hang up the cleats. How much of it is how much of it is salary related? Could be. We heard the uh, we heard the arguments from some of the Argos guys, uh, James Wilder, Victor Butler, but. Who's also since retired? Really, is is he retired now? Yeah, came out this week. Oh, I did not. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything about that. But I mean, guys around the CFL, you know, they've they've talked about how the salary just isn't enough to you know support a family, make a living, etc. A lot of guys trying to find a you know future careers, and I think that's uh, I think that plays a large role into this. I think too. What we don't realize is the physical strain on one's body for the lack of compensation. Do I want to do I want to give myself up for that small of a paycheck? And I hate to play NFL against CFL, but I will just for the sake of this argument. Are you more likely to put your body on the line making five to fifteen million dollars a year or two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars or less? I mean it, the answer is obvious. The answer is obvious, and I think quite frankly it is that simple. And one thing I would love to see from the CFL standpoint and the net CBA and I hate to say it, but I, wa- I wonder deep down if this might cause some kind of a work stoppage the way this is going. I hope I'm wrong. But instead of... The CFL has a real divide. You have your couple of players that made exponentially more than other players, and rightfully so. If you look at the pay scale in the CFL, my guess is that 50 to 55% of them, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less on both sides, make the rookie minimum. Plain and simple, just the way it is. I would like to see the bottom of the lead come up a little bit. Rather than what I think is going to happen, the top of the league get more money, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, like, honestly, Ryan, if the cap goes up, I would rather see the bottom level come up than the top come up. Right. I, it, it just benefits everybody that way. For sure. Um, the uh, in terms of retirements, uh, there's a couple notable ones I would do want to talk about here. Uh, John Chick of the Edmonton Eskimos retiring after eight CFL seasons. What can you say about John Chick's career? This is again one of those things where you know I I hated John Chick. <laughs> in the same sense, I also respected him. Right? You hate when you play against them. But you love him when you watch him and he's not playing your team. I think that's the best way to describe John Chick. And, and, and Chick just seems like such a great down-to-earth guy. And I'll tell you this, he did not deserve to have to go through starting last season, what, 0-14 or whatever it was? You know, he starts off 0-8 with the Ticats, gets traded to the Eskimos. They lose six straight games. Ryan, that, honestly, I am... I understand what you're trying to say, but that's just a freak outfit, and I don't think that'll ever happen again. No, probably not. I'm just saying, you know, great guy, John Chick. Unfortunate that in his final season it went that way, but he had, did also get the chance to play in the playoffs with the Edmonton Eskimos. And, and I really believe that this came down to money for John Chick, but also his body wasn't responding the way he wanted it to, to play football. Uh, also, uh, just this past week, uh, Eskimos wide receiver Rory Kohler retiring after six CFL seasons, uh, played with the Bombers for about four years. Uh, that was really the bulk of his career, went over and played with the Stampeders last year before signing with the Eskimos earlier this offseason. 
Uh, to me, he's a guy, you know, six seasons as a Canadian receiver in the CFL is very respectable, in my opinion. Uh, you don't too often see guys, you know, in general, with CFL careers last that long, right. uh, especially as a Canadian receiver. And especially, you know, Roy, one of those guys where uh, his position is a dime a dozen. And quite frankly, I don't think his passport helps him out. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, teams would rather, and just the fact of the matter, you know, unless you were Brad Sinopoli's in the world, you are in tough to make a CFL roster when the wide receiver position is generally given to that of American players. Right. The Canadian uh, roles are normally the internal, right? Right. Or, you know what, he's, and I'm not saying this is the case with Kohler whatsoever, but what you'll see is you'll see a lot of those guys end up being special teamers, which are probably, I'm guessing, pretty darn close to the rookie minimum, maybe just a little bit above. And that's when you start to look at other options. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, that a lot of these guys, when retiring, have better career options than making the small salaries in Madden football, which is why I'm hoping that in general, the salary cap comes up a little bit, especially the rookie minimum, to entice people to stay in the game. Yes, um yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, so congratulations on great careers to John Chick and Rory Colert, and I hope uh, both of them enjoy their retirement and uh, whatever it brings for John Chick. I imagine it will uh, it will bring a lot of uh, father-children time because uh, with nine kids, he's got a lot of love to spread around. Yeah, <laughs> I just I, I there's no disrespect to John Chick, but I have no idea how he does it. <laughs> Um, but there is the fact that he, the fact that he was able to play football while still having nine children is, uh, is impressive for him and impressive for his wife, who I'm sure put a, uh, put a lot of work in while, uh, while dad was busy playing football. We have to remember that football families are a unit of two people working together so that the other one can see success. Right. And, and and that goes across, you know, sports, not just the CFL. It goes to hockey, it goes to basketball. There's a family unit that works for the better of the other person while the other person chases their dream. And yeah. that, that that's just the way it is, unfortunately. And, and John Chet, great player, even better person by all accounts. He deserves to have nothing but success. For sure. Um, Mike, before we get into talking about probably the retirement that we're going to have the most to talk about here, um, note on guys that are not officially retired that we all thought would be. the uh, Nick Lewis looked like he had played his final game last year. Very much, you know, you saw the emotions as he, uh, it very well seemed like it was. Uh, Chip Cox, many expected to retire after last year. Um, April 30th, uh, I believe it was Cavus Reed went and updated that neither of these guys had officially gone and said they were retiring yet. Do you think there's the possibility we see Nick Lewis or Chip Cox back on the field this year? I did. One of the doors there and the opportunities there, yes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if those two guys go to training camp and see if their bodies still allow them to play football. Yeah. And I, I, I think as long as, and that's no disrespect to these guys whatsoever, sometimes you want to do something to see if the fire is still in you. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's the case with these guys or not. We'll never know that. To me, I think it's when, when you're invested in football or any sport for so long, it becomes a part of you, right? We see that in the NHL 
with guys like a Yaramir Yager type who looks like his time in the NHL is done. But every year it's like, oh, you've played so long, one more year, one more year. And, you know, it becomes such a part of you. Uh, and I think that's what we've seen with guys like Nick Lewis and Chip Cox. And then the question becomes, quite honestly, what happens when said sport is all you know? Is there a bit of an emotional letdown, right? Right. And I think as long as you have the will to want to play, and your body allows it, and you can make things work. Nothing against you playing any kind of sport, right? For sure. I just hope for the sake of those two that an injury doesn't force them out. Because for those two individuals, and I've watched them, idolized them in, in some cases, uh, really looked up to them. I just hope we don't see what happened to Anthony Calvillo, among others, happened to such great individuals such as those. But to those two, and that's no disrespect to everybody else, but those two deserve to watch out on their own. Yeah, and I think I think that speaks to the number of guys we've seen retire is people deciding to go out on their own terms. Because you never know when you step foot on a football field whether you're going to come out of that game healthy or not. Let's be real. The, you know, injuries, freak and non-freak, can happen all over the place, um, all over the football field at any moment. Uh, you see guys rupture an Achilles just in training camp like James Tuck of the Eskimos did this year. Um you, you go out on your own terms. If you if you feel like you, you, now's the time to go, I respect a player. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe still wanting to play another year, but I respect a player's decision if they decide, no, I really want to go out on my own terms. I'm not feeling great about this upcoming season. You know, my time is done. Honestly, Ryan, I think you and I can both attest to this. We look at a situation... You know, ever since we started this podcast way back when, you and I did it as a fan. We never understood the emotional, um, the decisions and stuff that went into certain players' decisions. But as we look at them, we have a greater understanding of the variables that go into said decisions. And I think now having been into it and knowing the economics and the viability and the injury and the financial situation, you can understand and come to appreciate player decisions more so than the average person that isn't as um, invested in the CFL. I I couldn't have said that better, Mike. I like what you said there. Uh, getting into, you know, all of the rage in Winnipeg right now is about the Winnipeg Jets. Um, off to the conference finals starting tonight here in Winnipeg. Um, the, the Jets go and win a game seven against Nashville uh, two days ago. And then, uh, yes, and then, yes. I don't know how they did that, to be honest with you. Pardon me? Still don't know how they did that, to be honest, <laughs> but I'll take it. And then, Mike, we get a bit of a damper on Winnipeg sports the day after. Yesterday, quarterback Darian Durant, before he ever puts on the blue and gold, retiring from the CFL after 12 seasons. I'll be honest with you. 24 hours ago, I was very angry about this. I can confirm. Having time to think about it and... Time is a wonderful virtue when you don't overreact and you actually think things through. I believe that Dorian Durant made the right decision and that the real issue here is a $70,000 signing bonus and only that. Yeah, because- of, of all the retirements here that we've talked about, Darian Durant is the one that has the biggest fanfare to it. Uh, obviously, a great CFL player, long career, 
um, especially in Saskatchewan. He did some pretty great things there. Um, and then you have, you know, the whole drama of it all that apparently he doesn't notify the Bombers. The Bombers have no clue this is happening. Uh, he goes and posts on social media before the Bombers have any idea. Bombers pay him a $70,000 signing bonus earlier uh, in the year that they try to ask back from him now because he's not even going to play. He says no, which I don't blame him because they've already paid him. And it's a lot of drama around it. But at the end of the day, you know, Darian's doing what he feels is best for his career. Uh, and and beyond his career here, hanging up the cleats, uh, the Bombers are left with a big hole at backup quarterback now, and uh, that that's that's that. To me, here's the thing, and people can agree to disagree with me, because there's always going to be the people that think they're smarter than everybody else. Is this an issue if it's defensive back Joe Smith? No. Is this- I had, to, I had to think for a second about who Joe Smith is, then realize you were just using a fake name. I am using a fake name. But it, it, is it an issue? Is this even a discussion point if it's defensive back Joe Smith from Fresno University? No. A, a guy that played 18 games last year had a couple interception returns. Or are people just up and armed because of Darian Durant? I think I think the big issue here, and this is that you can you you can talk about the Calgary Stampeders with Andrew Buckley because I feel like it's the same situation. Mm-hmm. Is that the backup quarterback position is, in my opinion, and I've long said it on this show, the second most important roster slot on the entire roster. Absolutely. And now, and with training camp, you know, a month away, we talked about long throughout the offseason, all of the, you know, the lack of really free agent quarterbacks out there um, and every team fighting to try to get that one-two punch. These were two teams in the Stampeders with Bo Levi Mitchell and Andrew Buckley and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with Matt Nichols and Darian Durant. They looked like they had a very good one-two punch at quarterback. And now with a month, you know, just a month to go until the season, both of them are scrambling a little a little to fill these holes. Again, question becomes, I'm going to stick to what I said earlier. Hole is a hole is a hole is a hole. A guy wants to retire, he wants to retire. Not my problem that the Bombers offered him a $70,000 signing bonus. That is the risk you take and the assumption that you take. My big problem, and I think everybody's big problem, is that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were not informed before this one on social media. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. Like, I'm not mad at Darian Durant for retiring. I don't think you can be mad at a guy for, you know, deciding to hang up the cleats. It's his decision. He's he's had a long a great career in the CFL, and uh, he feels like uh, he wants to hang it up and focus on other aspects of his life now. And you can't fault a guy, and I never will fault a guy for doing that. Uh, the way I would say, the only thing I would say is it's rather unfortunate for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? I, I had a long discussion with somebody from Saskatchewan yesterday about this. Somebody that's watched Darian Durant play uh, for many, 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 many years. He didn't believe, and I, I concur with him, he didn't believe that Darian Durant was out to get the Blue Bombers and was in this for the money. His explanation to me was quite simply this. He informed the Bombers weeks ago, and this is, this is fact, that he was contemplating retirement. Right. Okay? Yeah. It's not like this came right out of the blue. The Bombers subsequently, and this is confirmed, said, okay, think about it and let us know. Don't make this decision or a decision of this magnitude at the seat of your pants. Right? Right. It is a big decision. Make sure you make the right one and come let us know. The fact that that happened, and the Bombers knew in the back of their mind that this was a possibility, 
I, I'm not too sure what the disagree what what the argument is about. Is this about seventy thousand dollars signing bonus, which they want back, or the fact that their pride was a little bit hurt by the fact that they, their plans have suddenly gone up in a grenade to use somebody else's term? At the end of the day here, Mike, uh, congratulations to Darian Durant on a great 12-year career. I think we can uh, we can say that, obviously. Um, disappointed to see kind of how things ended with him in Saskatchewan with the, you know, the disagreements with Chris Jones, him being released by the Riders, uh, goes on to Montreal, struggles greatly with the Alouettes, and you thought maybe, okay, he's coming to Winnipeg. Who knows how much he's going to play as a backup, but maybe, you know, he's got a great season or two in him to end off his career on a bit of a better note there but uh i I guess he didn't want to do it it's a very interesting decision and and i believe that when darian durant went through his off-season workout um i believe he looked at it and said you know could my body allow me to do another season and I think he came to that answer to be no. And at which time he came to his decision. So if, if you if your heart and your mind and your body aren't into it, there is zero point in playing. Yeah. You you need everything on board. I, I agree. That's a good way to sum it up. Um, and to end off his career, as he did so many times throughout. Darian Durant causes nightmares for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers one final time. Who's to blame? I don't <laughs> Darian. So now the question comes, Mike. Who is worse off right now at the quarterback position? You've got the Calgary Stampeders with Bo Levi Mitchell as a starter, looking to have a bounce-back year this year. Had a bit of a down year last year due to injury. Uh, Ricky Stanzi now becomes the backup. Um, he was the third string there last year, uh, or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who, uh, Matt, they had Matt Nichols, uh, last year and he'll be back again as the starter this year, obviously. Uh, last year they had Dom Davis as the backup, Dan Lefevre as the backup. Both of those guys are gone now. Uh, they brought in Alex Ross this past week, uh, former BC Lions backup. Uh, so who do you make it? Who's better? better off or worse off at the quarterback position? Calgary. Why? They've had so much internal changeover. So you think it's not necessarily the quarterback position itself, it's the the rest of the team? Absolutely. Uh, if you were to specifically stick at the quarterback position? Um, I still go Calgary. Yeah, I like Ross. I like Alex Ross as a bit of a better backup than Ricky Stanzi because uh, we've gotten a you know a little bit of game tape on Alex Ross. We don't really have any on Stanzi. Uh, I think Ross is a guy that maybe has a bit of potential. Uh, he can play that backup role for the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I mean, it all comes down to really which of these guys, Bo Levi Mitchell or Matt Nichols, can stay healthy in 2018. And hopefully the answer that this season brings us is both of them. Honestly, I'm not looking forward to Alex Ross. Why not? The two guys I'm looking forward to, and no disrespect to Alex whatsoever, this guy that they got yesterday, I'm just trying to find the name here, uh, Zach Mahoney from Syracuse, and Chris Stribler, uh, and Stribler, Stribler, I don't even know how you pronounce that. The Bombers seem very high on those two guys. Stribler apparently has a rocket of an arm. Granted, you can't make that out from a practice. But by all accounts, maybe it seems like we have two up-and-coming prospects for once on the quarterback depth chart. Mm. And maybe we'll be fine. Because last I checked, Calgary doesn't have an Andrew Harris. Last I checked, Calgary doesn't even have a, to my knowledge at this point anyway, without looking at their roster, they don't have a Keenan LaFrance. 
the Bombers will be fine if they can keep Matt Nichols up. Upright. And I think that's a that's the same thing you can say for almost any team. If you can, uh, you know, a season can be made or lost based on whether the starting quarterback stays healthy, which is why it's so great to have that insurance policy of a solid backup quarterback, which unfortunately both of these teams are now scrambling to try to find a month before the season. But that's the way it goes, right? That's the way it goes. Uh, Both of these teams will, uh, I'm sure, be auditioning plenty of guys in training camp in order to find V1. For me... Matt Nichols plays two drives the entire preseason. Given, so. given what's happened here in the last two weeks. Yeah. I, I really think that you use training camp and you use the preseason to figure out the order behind Matt Nichols. And I'm not so convinced... But Alex Ross is even the backup at this point. That will remain to be seen throughout training camp, throughout the preseason. Uh, Mike, we are running out of time here. Uh, we have a lot of stuff we haven't covered yet, so we'll cover. We'll keep covering and uh, keep getting up to date on stuff with next week's show as well. But uh, do you have any final thing you want to talk about on today's episode? Well, I just think it's weird how we changes everything. And suddenly, one of the most on-paper, steady positions on a football team becomes with one of the most questioned. Yeah. In about a matter of two seconds. Did we have a lot of questions coming into last year, though, at the quarterback position for bom- for the Bombers? Uh, I know they brought him down the fever. I think we saw him as maybe a guy as a backup that you know has historically been able to come in and play some. Uh, not so bad football, but uh, I don't remember there being a lot of concerns, despite I still see almost a similar drop-off between the starter and the backup position. There was no concern. So why is there such a concern this year? Because the guys that they have presently have not played much CFL football behind Matt Nichols. That's fair. That's fair. I guess Lefevre did have at least the veteran experience, right? Where- Chris, Chris Schreiber and Zach Mahoney, as good as they look on paper, as good as they look on tape, as good as they look in a rookie camp, let's see when big Ted Laurent comes running down, when big-name defenders come rushing after them. In a preseason game. Let's see what you got then. Uh, one of the... Uh, back in March, the uh, the BC Lions released quarterback Mitchell Gale. Do you see either the Stampeders or the Bombers bringing him in? Honestly, no. 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 I, uh, I hate to be a total disrespect to Mitchell Gale. But there's a reason he's been on an awful lot of CFL teams. And I think that's a record that kind of follows the person. You know what I mean? Right. And I, and I think it's a roster spot better served to develop a future Jonathan Jennings, a future Foley by Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. With the- would the Bombers be in this situation, Ryan, if they had a history of developing quarterbacks? This, like, position of concern? Oh, absolutely not. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not concerned one bit. I just think it's time, and I think the Bombers have realized this too, with, with the way the quarterback roster is constructed. I think they're looking at this as a chance to to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, if, my, if, the, if the proven names don't work, and I, I don't think they like any of the names that are available, so to me, I would rather think outside the box on this one. 
and we'll leave it at that, Mike. Let's wrap it up here. Um, We've covered a lot today. We'll cover a lot again next week as we are looking to continue to stay in the swing of things uh, with weekly shows. uh, Get back into the swing of things, I should say, as we get ready for the CFL season. And, of course, we'll be with you all season long. Um, Got to get ready for the Jets game tonight. That starts in uh, about two and a half, three hours. Uh, Got to prepare for that. So uh, we'll leave it here for the CFL talk for today, Mike. Absolutely. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. Uh, Go Jets, go. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.